Well, I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to, uh, to this new year in so many ways. Um, one of those great ways, which uh, we mentioned earlier, is uh, Pastor Jerry will be here on Tuesday and be up here next Sunday. So hopefully the weather will be better. Please come, invite your friends, and we'll look forward to a great start to his ministry here at ZPC. But as we look to the future, as we were just talking about the kids, we really don't know the future. We can make plans. We can write things on our calendars. But we don't know the future for sure. Today, though, we're going to look at a passage from Jeremiah in the Old Testament, which talks about listening to God and looking to God for our future. And what are some practical things we might do to, to listen to God um, for what he has for us in our future? We know that whatever happens in our church um, with us as individuals, that God is with us, Emmanuel As he was with us at Christmas, he is with us every other time of the year as well. We do know that God is with us and was with us in some many ways during the months of November and December. I wanted to give you kind of an update on that of how God was with us. Operation Christmas Child Shoeboxes, there were 210 of those that you filled up that went around around the world to children. Um, 210 Operation Christmas Child Shoeboxes that you gave. There were 160 shepherd totes, and our goal was 150, so we went over by 10. I know the team, I got an email or a report that they had to go, actually go back out and buy more totes um, the week that those were due to fill up um, the need for that. So it was 160 shepherd totes that went to families to provide two weeks of food over the Christmas break. And then adopt a family that some of our deacons and leaders put on. 35 families were adopted for Christmas, were provided Christmas gifts. And maybe there, I, I got some emails that there may have even been a few more than that. So again, thank you for your generosity and that we see God at work. We see um, God at work that you are truly the hands and feet of Christ when we give and when we serve and when we reach out to others. We do know that God is with us in those good times when we have the ability to give. And God is with us in the hard times as well. And so God is with the people of Israel in the same way. And we're going to read about that in Jeremiah 29, verses 4 through 14. If you want to open your Bible, or it will be up on the screens. And let's look at that now. So from the Old Testament, the prophet Jeremiah, this is God's word. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of this city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope. And a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. 
I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. Let's pray. Most loving God, again, we come to you in prayer. We offer you thanks for this word, and we ask that you bless it to our understanding, and then that we may uh, apply it to our lives even today and this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, despite writing to uh, Middle Eastern Jews who were in exile in a foreign country 2,600 years ago, Jeremiah's words have meaning for us today. And they start with this admonition starting at verse 4, where Jeremiah basically says, move ahead with your life, even when times are hard. Move ahead with your life, even when times are hard. So the Jewish people were encouraged, uh, being sent in exile to Babylon, uh, they were encouraged to settle down there, and they were going to be there for 70 years. And think about that's a long time. I know I've been, I read a lot about American history and some of the 20th century history, and I know a lot of our wars, including World War II, which I've been reading about, was about, you know, four to five years for Americans. Think about 70 years in not only their country being occupied, but a lot of the people living in that country sent into exile to live in a foreign country where everything is different, and they worship different gods. And so what does God tell them? He tells them to carry on in the midst of strife, specifically for them to build houses, to marry, to have their kids get married, to start families. He says to seek peace and prosperity for the city so that they too will have peace and prosperity and to pray to God for these things. Well, today, you know, we often um, live in, in situations, maybe we're not in exile in a foreign country, but we have situations for us which are difficult as well. Maybe we're going to be facing uh, below zero temperatures in the next 48 hours. Maybe the economy has gone bad and we've lost jobs. Or our parents and grandparents are now moving into assisted living or nursing care facilities or passing away. We may have life situations which aren't the best because life happens and things are difficult. But Jeremiah's words work for us too because Jeremiah's words are scripture and they are inspired by the Holy Spirit to touch us as well. So God says to us as well, I believe, make the best of your situation even when times are hard. To pray to God, he says, to raise our families, to buy homes if we can, to seek peace and prosperity under God's blessing. That can be easier said than done. So as I was doing a little research a week ago, I looked at some notes that I had from another pastor, and he said four things we can do when times are tough. And I think these go along with what Jeremiah says here as well. He says, number one, to remember God has a plan for you. Remember God has a plan for you. God is not surprised by our circumstances. He's not pacing the floor. God is in control, and God has a plan. That's number one. Number two, God's timing is perfect. God is never too early or too late. And sometimes for us, it can be difficult to see God in the midst of our trials, and where is God in those trials? But God's timing is perfect. In fact, Sometimes when we have to wait longer, it makes us and pushes us to depend on God more. So God's timing is perfect. Number three, we have nothing to fear. This is a message that was sent to uh, Mary 
as the angel came to her to do not be afraid and throughout scripture that we're not to be afraid because God is with us. And number four, we've got a lot to learn. I know I was talking about with a friend on Christmas Eve, the fact when times are good, I feel like I can handle this. I got this. You know, I, I, I can handle all the things that are coming my way. But when life throws you a curveball, when times are tough, we are forced to depend on God more. And we've still got a lot to learn. I know I've got a lot to learn in my life. And we can depend on God more to learn. So God has a plan for us. God's timing is perfect. We have nothing to fear. And we've still got a lot to learn. Jeremiah then uh, passes on other words from God in verses 8 and 9. In fact, he says in, in different words than this, but he says basically, be careful who you listen to. Be careful who you listen to. And Jeremiah warns the people not to be deceived by diviners, he says, or false prophets. He actually says they are prophesying lies to the people of Israel who are living in Babylon. And I know today for us, I wonder sometimes how we are to discern truth in our lives and in our world. We, we realize that we get so much information and we have to decipher it, you know, and, and weed through it. We get information from the media and the internet, from our coworkers or friends, and we wonder how much of it we can trust. I would encourage you even to test what we say here in church or even what I say. Certainly, I could make a mistake in an interpretation of Scripture, and so I want you to be studying the Scripture, reading it, looking at it, listening for God to speak to you about what he has for you, for your life, to test things. And for Christians, we know that America is becoming a more secular nation. It's been well documented. This was from the Pew survey on religion about a year or more ago, that the fastest growing category in American religion is the nuns, not N-U-N-S, not the ladies who wear the black robes, but the N-O-N-E-S, those who checked the box none when asked what religion they practiced. They checked the box none. I, have, I practice no religion. They might be atheist or agnostic. Uh, many Americans don't practice anything, and some would say they are spiritual but not religious. So mainline denominations like Presbyterians are losing members while the nuns, those who check the box none, are growing. This means, I think, that our Conversations in America, especially about religion, are constantly changing. The culture will probably not tell us a biblical truth or the kind of biblical truth that we want to hear. The culture is going to tell us a lot of different things, many times directly contradicting some of the beliefs that we hold as Christians. So as the Jews who were living in a foreign culture in Babylon where they worshipped other gods, in some ways we today who are followers of Christ are living in a culture that is foreign to us. So we need to be careful and look to God to discern between strongly held opinion and God's truth. We need to discern between strongly held opinion that's out there in the world and then what is God's truth. Well, in the next part of this uh, short passage in Jeremiah comes the most famous verses. And I've heard from many Christians that Jeremiah 29.11 is maybe their favorite verse or a life verse, and it says this, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. It says basically God has good plans for your future in 29.10, to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you hope 
and a future. I believe this verse is so popular for a couple of reasons. You know, it's so positive. And as human beings, we need encouragement. We need affirmation. We need positive messages. And I believe it's so direct. It's very understandable and direct. We can get it. Now, some scholars think a more literal translation when Jeremiah says a hope and a future is really a hopeful end, a hopeful end. And so as the Jews were wondering how things would turn out for them, you know, they're living in a foreign land for 70 years. How are things going to end? God is saying through Jeremiah that things are going to end well. You're going to get to go back home. I am with you. I promise you that things will turn out. I will take care of you. But I believe what God does not teach us here is a prosperity gospel. If we just take this one verse and we take it out of context, in fact, if we look back to some of those earlier verses where it says the Jews were to to seek and to pray for prosperity and peace, even in Babylon, if we look at those things, we might make a case, well, God always wants everything to be good for us, that he always wants everything to be all right. But God does not promise that if we have enough faith that we will make a lot of money or be successful or that all of our dreams will come true. God does not promise that. Because it's not all that Jeremiah says. And this is a short passage in chapter 29. As we look at Jeremiah, it's a long book of prophecy. In fact, 52 chapters in all. One of the longest books in the Old Testament. Now, as I was doing a little bit of research a week or more ago, my study Bible here, that I call my Red Bible because the the cover's red. It said that the key verse in Jeremiah is 2.19, which says this, your wickedness will punish you and your backsliding will rebuke you. Ouch. That's not really what I want to hear. You know, I'd really rather read 29.11, okay, because that, that's much happier. But why are the people deserving of judgment that our wickedness will punish you? Well, they're basically being judged for turning away from God, having many opportunities to turn towards God, and they continue to turn away from God. In fact, just look at the circumstances there are people in. If you want to think, oh, this is about prosperity, they've been judged for their failure, their country's been conquered, and they're living in someone else's land. So when people claim this one verse, it does not mean that everything will be okay. It's more of an encouragement that when things are bad— and we're looking to the future as we are on this first Sunday in 2014, that God is with us and God has a plan even when times are tough and life is difficult. I think this is true for us as well. Like a counselor, uh, a, a very good counselor, Christian counselor once told me, your actions have consequences. Your actions have consequences. I know mine do and yours do too. And if we choose things, in our actions that go against God, chances are bad things are going to happen as a result. There are other times in our lives where we are the victims of circumstances. It could be an unforeseen illness that you have or a family member has. It could be a flooded basement or frozen pipes because of the weather. It could be something that happened because of the economy or a friend who turns against you and it wasn't your fault. But when those things happen in our lives, we need to know, you need to know that God loves you still, that God is with us, Emmanuel, and that he still is with us and he has a plan for our lives. He wants to give us a hope and a future, and he wants us to turn to him in time of need. Because if we just end at verse 11, we 
we've really ended in the wrong spot. We need to read verses 12 and 13 as well. And here's what they say. Verse 12, then, so right after he says, you're going to have a hope in the future, he says, then you will call on me. This is God speaking. You will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. So we need to call upon God. We need to pray to God, and God will listen. It says in verse 12, and then God says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. So if you haven't made your New Year's resolutions yet, I'm not a big one for New Year's resolutions myself, but if you haven't done those, we might think about making our New Year's resolutions for God, or at least part of them for God, with more of a focus on God and less of a focus on ourselves. In fact, if we go along with Jeremiah 29 here, we can make a resolution that we will call on God in prayer in 2014, that we will come to God, that we will do things in our lives that help us come to God, and that we can trust when we come to God that God will listen to us. In fact, when we seek him with all of our hearts, it says that we will find him, and we can trust that we can find God when we seek him with all of our hearts. Now, I know that if I make that my resolution, there are going to be days when I don't do that, when I don't seek God with all my heart, but I can keep coming back to that as a point of reference, as a promise that God will be with me and that I can find him when I seek him with all my heart. In 2013, I was rereading the book or, or a workbook called It's Experiencing God by Henry Blackaby that was published 20 to 25 years ago, a great book. And Henry Blackaby says early on in the book, he says, sometimes Christians ask this question, what is God's will for my life? But he thinks that's the wrong question. He thinks what is God's will for my life is the wrong question. Instead, he says the right question is, what is God's will? Question mark. What is God's will? And then once I know God's will, I can adjust my life to him. So we look for God's will, and then we try to adjust who we are in our lives, our actions, to his will. So the focus needs to be on God, not necessarily on ourselves first. So what's it look like to focus on God and to ask God, God, what is your will? What is your will for this situation? What is your will for our church? What is your will? What are you doing right now in the world where I need to join you in? How can I find that? I think it can be called spiritual discernment. And in the last few years, I've taken some notes on different things that different pastors or things I've read about spiritual discernment. And this especially was very helpful to me. It's going to be up on the screens. Spiritual discernment can be the cumulative wisdom of these things, can be the cumulative wisdom of these things, of Scripture, of reading and studying Scripture. If you went to a Sunday school class this morning where you heard the Scripture taught, or you can read it on your own, you can come, we can study it together on a, on a Sunday morning. Go to trusted advisors, especially Christian advisors, so friends, um, uh, a loved one, people that you trust, leaders in the church. I'm having this situation. Here's what I'm thinking about doing. What do you think about my choice? Does, does that sound like I'm going in the right direction? Go to trusted advisors. For a church, it's a collective sense of the faithful. So for Vision 2020, they gathered responses and input from all across the church, hundreds of responses, and then through a lot of prayer and discernment, gathered that together with a way forward for the church. So a collective sense of the faithful. The best Christian wisdom is you read Christian books of people that you trust, men and women that you trust, or listen to sermons or listen to messages that you feel that God is blessing. What do they say about these certain issues that I'm wrestling with? And then to pray, God, help me. God, help me to understand your will. 
What is your will? What is your will for this situation? And then after we pray, to watch, wait, and listen for God to speak to us and to believe that he will speak to us, that we can hear his voice. And I know I fail on that sometimes, but we can go and we can listen. God, what is it that you're saying? Help me to listen and then help me to obey. The last verse in, in this short passage is verse 14, and God says this in that verse, I will gather you, so the nation of Israel, I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. Here's what we know about God and God's character. He fulfills his promises. And as we read later in the Old Testament through Nehemiah and through others, God did bring the nation of Israel, the remnant, back to Jerusalem to help rebuild it, and he fulfilled his promises. And as we've read in the month of December and read again today in his prophets, God has good news for us. He gives us a hope and a future more than anything as we look ahead in 2014. That is through Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. In Isaiah, we read that God provides a way out of the darkness. It says the people walking in darkness have seen a great light, and that a little child shall lead them. We find that Jesus is that child. He is the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. As we look ahead in Isaiah towards the end of the book, he says, this one will be the suffering servant who was familiar with suffering, who took our affirmities upon him, who carried our sorrows, who will be our God, and we will be his people. Jeremiah says in chapter 31, God will make a new covenant. He will be our God, and we will be our people. He will forgive our wickedness, and he remembers our sins no more. And that comes true in the person of Jesus. He is the one truly who gives us our hope and our future. I found this quote a week or so ago by Andy Crouch, who's an author, and he said this, as we think about our hope and our future as we enter 2014. Human beings can live for 40 days without food, four days without water, and four minutes without air. But we cannot live for four seconds without hope. Last week, if you had the chance to be here and worship, Nancy Frick did a great job of preaching about God being with the disciples and with Peter specifically. And she wrapped up her message by telling the story of Louis Zamperini, whose story is brilliantly told in the book um, Unbroken by Laura Hillenbrand. And after barely surviving an airplane crash, in the Pacific Ocean during World War II, um, and then about two years of unspeakable cruelty in a Japanese prisoner of war camp, in fact, several camps that he was transferred to, Louis returned home. But after the war, he couldn't see much hope and a future. In fact, he was caught in nightmares <clears throat> of his imprisonment and torture, and he drowned his problems in alcohol trying to escape from those nightmares, and he still had no hope. Until in 1950, he found hope and a future in Christ by accepting Christ at a Billy Graham crusade in Los Angeles. And after that, he started a camp for boys to help boys out of trouble, and he's traveled the world for the last 60 to 70 years of his life since this time, telling his story even to Japan where he forgave his captors. So Louis Zamperini could not see a life of hope and a future, but God had one for him, and God called him to himself. God has a plan for our futures as well. As we begin this new year, God has a future for each of us. God has a future for our church. And as we start this new year and this, really this new era 
at ZPC, God has a bright and good future planned for us. And I look forward to sharing that um, with each of you. So God promises us a hope and a future and that we can know God as individuals and as a church when we see God with all of our hearts. Let us pray. Most loving God, we do give you thanks for this new year, this chance to have a hope and a future. We, we understand, God, that you do not promise that everything will be rosy and good. We also understand, God, that when times are tough, that we can turn to you even more, that we can cry out to you in prayer, that we can come to you, that we can seek you with all of our hearts. So, Lord, help us to do that. And then, God, when we fall short, God, to get back up and to seek you again. God, we thank you for that. And, Lord, now we ask that you bless this meal that is with us, that is the Lord's Supper, that you would nourish us with it both spiritually and physically, that we could draw closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen.